Thanks for tuning in to the Zags on 3 podcast. I'm Andy Bueller here. And before we get started, uh, a couple things. First off, uh, just know this podcast was recorded on Monday. Uh, So this happened before Gonzaga Freshman Center Zach Collins declared for the NBA draft, becoming Gonzaga's first ever one and done. In today's podcast, we're joined by Gonzaga beat writer for the Spokesman Review, Jim Meehan, to uh, break down the ending of the season, uh, look at the season in review a bit, and uh, look forward to next year. Jim was awesome, had a great conversation with him, so just look forward to that. But for next week, we will have a more comprehensive look at the offseason and at what the Zags who declare uh, what their NBA draft prospect looks like and uh, what the potential roster looks like uh, coming back next year. There's still a lot of pieces in play. Uh, it'll be a fun offseason, certainly, as it was a fun and historic season. The Zags on 3 podcast, as you know, aside from being a production of Gonzaga Bulletin and iZag Radio, is on iTunes. If you look up Zags on 3, you can subscribe and get all the latest and greatest episodes right at your fingertips, downloaded to your smartphone, uh, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, Stitcher, uh, I use Overcast. Uh, but if you could go ahead on iTunes and give us a review, rate us, tell us what you don't like, what you like, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and that way we can continue to make these podcasts and give you guys fresh content every week on Zags Basketball. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. on the Zags on 3 podcast. We have Gonzaga men's basketball beat writer for the Spokesman Review, Jim Meehan. You've read him there. Jim, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we've got about a week and a half uh, under our belts since the uh, the national championship game. So Jim, I mean, you've covered the U.S. Open. Uh, I'm sure you can list a laundry list of things you've covered. Where does the Final Four rank among those things, and was the culmination of the season kind of a check off the bucket list for you from a coverage standpoint? Well, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to cover, but I, had, I didn't, I mean, the, uh, Has this uh, fickle Spokane weather allowed you to get out in the golf course yet? It hasn't. It has not. In fact, I had snow at my house today, about an inch and a half, and saw the golf courses are tweeting out pictures of their, their greens under snow, and it might be hard to putt today. So uh, that day is coming, but it has not happened yet. So I'm still waiting on the weather to cooperate. We can't all be in Georgia, uh, I guess. So. Ha- <laughs> Ever since, uh, ever since Gonzaga made its first uh, Final Four with that win over uh, Xavier that punched its ticket, um, it's been funny to notice uh, 
the way Coach Few has interacted, at least with the, the with the national media, it, it feels like, at least from my perspective, um, he's been a lot more slap happy and, and kind of like candid. Uh, you know, he made that he made that Trump joke at the rally and uh, talked about the camping trip and. Uh, you know, I've seen him swat away local reporters' attempts to talk about his handstands in the past, but he kind of took it head on with a smile. Is this, is this, you know, ever since he made the Final Fours, is this the happiest and kind of most candid you've seen few with, like, the national media and kind of in the spotlight? Well, I think he did loosen up a little bit at the NCAA as the further they went. Uh, you know, I think he been on the beat since 2008 correct yeah did you did you run into any zags of programs past who you'd previously covered as, as everyone congregated at the final four you know i tried to uh, i didn't know where they were for the one uh, game i didn't know where they were all sitting and then i saw quite a few of them uh, for the second one i actually saw a lot more of the assistant coaches billy greer dan monson and uh, they had leon rice uh, Ray Giacoletti, they were all in the media room, so I was able to talk to them for quite a while. But I did talk to a lot of the guys that uh, that I've covered, and even a few before. I talked to Blake Stepp, uh, Sam Bauer, um, who else? I had three or four guys, but Kyle Bankhead that I talked to for a story I did about their March memories. And uh, you could just tell they were, they were pretty... Uh, pretty enthused by what happened and pretty impressed by what happened. Uh, you know, they took a lot of pride in, in what they saw down there. And, um, and even leading up to it, I think the year in general helped got Dag and play. Uh, they dominated people. They, you know, they were 29-0 and 0 at one point. And when they did lose, they came back and, and played pretty good basketball right up until the title game. Uh, I think that, I think that was, uh, what impressed them the most is not not even so much that they made a Final Four. I think they were all grateful for that. But the way they did it. I mean, that was a dominant team that was, no question, you know, one of the best two teams in the country, or no matter how you rank it. And, uh, and so that, uh, to put the breakthrough to get to a Final Four, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think all those guys wanted to see it, and they wanted to be part of it down in, in Phoenix. So for for Coach Few, I think he's about as leveled and kind of measured of a coach as I've really ever seen. I mean, no high is too high and, and no low is too low. How quickly do you think for that national championship game that, that he reconciles that loss, kind of, you know, if, if he ever does? Uh, I, don't, I don't think you ever do. If you're in his position, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, you know, I think he's 
uh, any coach or even a player in that position. Um, it's just, it's the pinnacle of the sport. You're not going to get there all the time, obviously, even the great programs don't go uh, to the Final Four every year. I mean, North Carolina, for all they've done in college basketball, they're one of the blue bloods of, of, of college basketball. They have six titles. They've been playing forever. Um, so to get to that point, um, to come up short in a game you're leading with less than two minutes left, to see how it ended with, with kind of uh, with all the what ifs of Nigel spraining his ankle there in the final minute and a half. Um, you know, I'm sure he's enormously proud of, of what they did uh, to break through and get to a final four for the first time after knocking on the door forever. Uh, I'm sure he, you know, at the end of the day, those outweigh everything, but uh, you only get so many chances to, uh, to win it all. They certainly weren't outmatched. They certainly had a chance to win it. And so, he, you know, he's probably like every other game that, that's come along that uh, is a, a painful loss. He's probably replayed it in his mind a lot and trying to figure out, you know, what, what you do different, what, you, uh, what string you try to pull differently. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think those games ever go away. In fact, he talked about Jim Beheim telling him that uh, – how wonderful it is to get there, but you will be absolutely crushed if you don't win at all. And he mentioned that in the post game. So I think at that point, uh, it was setting in that, uh, man, what a ride, but you just wish you had one more uh, W to finish it off. Hey Jim, this is Justin. Uh, I was wondering, uh, one of the issues with recruiting in the past, I, I would have to assume, is looking up at the rafters, they never had a banner that said Final Four appearance, National Championship appearance. Uh, with this, uh, with their success this season, uh, how do you feel this is going to help the Gonzaga coaching staff, specifically Tommy Lloyd and, uh, and Brian uh, Michelson when they're in living rooms of possible recruits uh, and now they can say, you know, yeah, you're going to make the NCAA tournament, but now, you know, you also can make a Final Four National Championship as well. No, I think it has to help. Uh, you know, they, they had so, so much to sell before. I think that's why they have become so appealing to some of these transfers that, you know, are coming out of the Pac-12, they're coming out of the SEC, uh, you know, even the graduate transfers, you know, they can come to the they can come to Gonzaga. They can almost count on winning 25 games. They can almost count on going to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, those things are appealing enough beyond the university and the educational part of it. Uh, but to, to be uh, playing on the last uh, game of the year in, in April with the whole country watching, um, I, I would have to think it opens up doors in the U.S. and, and abroad. Uh, to, for people to, for recruits to look at, um, you know, they were already kind of getting in on the, on the best recruits. Maybe not landing all of them, but a guy like Zach Collins is a McDonald's All-American. Uh, Josh Perkins was a top 60 guy. Zach Norvell was a McDonald's All-American uh, uh, nomination. Didn't didn't make the final roster. Um, so they're already in that neighborhood. I think this. Uh, can only help them. Uh, and I think, again, it gets back to how they did it and how guys filled roles, uh, <clears throat> maybe, uh, you know, took on uh, less 
duties than they had at their other schools. They might have been uh, needed to score more at, at Cal or at, at Missouri or rebound more or whatever. These guys all fit into roles and, and accepted their parts, uh, their jobs, and, and I think uh, even that might help them with recruits. Uh, you know, everybody thinks all recruits want to do is, is score the most points and move on to the NBA. But I think there's uh, more to it than that, especially for transfers who've been around the block. Uh, they're looking to do one thing. They're looking to have a great experience and win and have a chance to win it all. And, and I think uh, from that regard, this has got to help them. Speaking of the NBA, are you of the mindset that kind of with this, in the second year with this new rule that says, uh, you know, college players can declare for the draft, not hire an agent, still salvage that NCAA eligibility, uh, are you of the mindset that players owe it to themselves to kind of see what's out there? Uh, I, I think it encourages it more, and I do like the rule. I, I think it gives the player a little bit more flexibility to make the right call, to, to sample what's out there, to work out, to get the feedback they need. And, and those, those GMs and, and, and player personnel people they work out for will be square with them. They'll, I don't think they'll lead them down a false path. Um, you know, it gives them a chance to find out exactly where they stand. And a lot of times they find out it's, it's not where they thought they were. Uh, they're not a surefire number one you know, first-round pick or second-round pick even. Uh, there's been a lot of zags through the years that have, have kind of looked at it. I think Kyle Wilcher looked at it a year ago. Shemek kind of poked around, even though he was coming off the back injury. Um, you know, going back, Pargo, I think uh, Bolden, some of those guys all, uh, at the very least, tried to figure out where they stood. And, and so I think you'll see you see those lists. I mean, there are over 100 names by the end of the year, and there's only, what, 60 guys that get drafted. Uh, so those numbers will keep going up. I think you'll see guys, well, the kid at uh, Purdue, Swanigan, I think this is his second time of declaring without hiring an agent. Um, I think guys uh, who are on that fringe or on that second round and maybe late first to want to see, uh, you know, get the feedback to make a decision, it's probably a smart move. You, you find out where you stand and we can make a better, more informed decision. And whether that's going to the NBA or coming back, at least you have some uh, facts and figures to back it up. Absolutely. No, I, I, that's why, you know, I think, I think J3 should test the waters. I, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, I, I would understand if a guy like Josh Perkins did it. I don't know. I think that Zag fans aren't entirely, or at least students from my experience, aren't really used to the NBA first mindset with, with players and student athletes. But I don't know. I kind of think players owe it to themselves to see if they could reap the benefits off of uh, such an amazing run that, that, that they were, you know, a really big part of. one of them did go 
I'm not sure. You know, I think both are in a position where they come, they could come back, have more of the spotlight on them with the minutes, with maybe some of the responsibilities, and I think both could really improve their stock, especially a guy like J3, whose athleticism is kind of kind of fits that league already. Uh, and you've seen how his game has grown. If he can take another step, uh, he, he might uh, he might might be hard to avoid in the next draft. Certainly, yeah. No, after the championship game, I I wrote a column on how I, how impressed I was at the locker room uh, after after the game. I know that's not not an easy thing to do is to answer to uh, the biggest loss of your lifetime um, just minutes after, you know, for, you know, being asked the same questions over and over. And I thought that the players met it pretty head on and were respectful and showed poise and perspective, you know, even even after that loss, what was your experience and, and, and kind of what was your take on uh, on the way that the team responded uh, right after the game and kind of the way they've been able to digest it over, over the last few days? Excuse me. Well, I didn't get to the locker room. I had a couple of stories to write, so I did the podium session. I think I have three guys up there, Nigel and Shemek, maybe Jordan, I believe, was up there. And, and Coach Pugh was up there. And, you know, they, I can't imagine being in their position. You're, you're, in this, you're, you're in a national title game where you, you're right there, you have a chance to win it all, and you, and you come up short. And ten minutes later, you're trying to de- describe your feelings and uh, just how painful it is to go through that close and not be able to win it. But I think you're right. They, they did... Uh, they stood up there. They answered all the questions. Uh, Coach Pugh was the same way. Uh, you know, Jordan was kind of the one I thought who really put it into perspective uh, the best when he got asked at the podium. I just, you know, he, he, they're not, none of them are denying how painful it is and how close they had come. Uh, you know, Nigel broke down a couple of times. Nigel was just about inconsolable there, and I think it was the same way in the locker room. Uh, but you know what? What? What they said actually was, I think, pretty frank. And I think uh, even Shemek uh, was just mad at himself that he, he had some shots he usually makes and wasn't able to put them down. Um, but then they kind of took a look at the bigger picture in the year as a whole, all the things that they were able to pull off and milestones they were able to reach. Um, and I, I think they, for being in a trying moment. I think they put it uh, in context as best as they can. Hey, Jim, this is Josh. Uh, Regarding Nigel and Zach's NBA future and the decision between that and coming back to school, where do you think they're leaning? Well, it's hard to say. My sense is that at the very least, they'll both probably take a peek at it, Um, at least go through the process and, and see where they stand. And they're really different spots. And, I mean, Zach is a young kid. He's 19, all the talents you need, very athletic, great size, kind of all the things that uh, the NBA prizes. And uh, Nigel's at the other end. He's a fourth-year guy because he had the red shirt after transferring. Uh, physically, he's probably who he is. He's not going to make some massive jump uh, from the physical end, but you can see how 
smart and talented he is, and you know, a leader, a guy who understands the game, high IQ, his shooting improved, does a little everything. I think a lot better defender than, than maybe folks thought he would be coming over from Washington. Uh, willing to share the ball, let him in assist, right there in rebounds. Uh, so I'm not sure. I think Nigel's probably looking at it. You know, do I come back and make a run for, for a national title? Uh, maybe for player of the year honors. He was in the top five of the Wooden Award this year. Uh, or do I start the earnings? You know, right now, uh, uh, and give up one year of, of playing college basketball. I mean, that's a decision he's going to have to make because his, his is a little more complicated than that. The NBA scouts are drooling over him. They know about him. They know his game inside and out. There's there's three years of tape there. Uh, you know, where Zach is more, uh, obviously he has the talent to, to probably be a first-round guy. Most of the projections have him there. Some of them have him up in the lottery. Um, his decision is, do I come back and improve my stock? Do I come back and take on a bigger role? Uh, you know, score more, rebound more, play 30 minutes as opposed to 17. A little bit like DeMontis Sabonis' position. You remember a couple years back, DeMontis was, you know, coming off the bench behind uh, Shemek and, and Wiltshire, and then Shemek got hurt, and that kind of cleared his time where he played a ton, and put up the big numbers, but uh, I think the jump DeMontis made from his freshman to sophomore year is what put him in the draft lottery eventually. Zach has to weigh that. He, he might be there already. He might not. Um, so, again, that's one where if he tests the waters and gets a more solid answer, probably will dictate where he goes. Certainly, I I see a, a guy like Zach where, you know, his... His numbers will go up. His and that certainly we saw, as you mentioned, what that did with with Sabonis. Um, you know, with the run that the team made and and the spotlight that he played under and and how he performed. Set aside the national championship game and and uh, fouling out, but you know, up until that point, it's hard, at least in in, in my eyes, to see. Um, or at least it must be presenting a, a really tough decision in front of him because this is essentially he's going he went out on the season on, on an incredibly high note. Yeah, I mean he played uh, and he played great in the tournament. Even in the in the title game, he had some turnovers and the foul issues, but uh, who didn't have foul issues in that game? The way the way that second half the whistles were coming. Um, yeah, he's in a spot where probably not the worst, uh, probably the best of both worlds in some ways, but, you know, either he turns pro, he's most likely going to be a first-round draft pick. Um, he does have some guys he can lean on, the former Zags of the last few years, like Olenek and Sabonis. Uh, and maybe even a better scenario for him is to talk to Stephen Zimmerman, the kid he went to school with, that Bishop Gorman, who turned pro after his first year and has kind of bounced back and forth from the, the D-League to Orlando. Um, you know, those guys' perspectives might uh, might be pretty valuable to them. Uh, you know, he can get both ranges. He can get the guy who came back for a year, really improved his game. And he can get the guy who went uh, after his freshman year and has kind of been on that bus between, uh, you know, the, the pro team and the D-League D team. So, uh, but he was... Uh, his timing, his ability to block shots, 
but he's got a lot to work on too. I mean, he's, he's a young kid. He's 19. He needs strength. He needs weight. You saw that in some of the games. He got kind of physically pushed around a little bit. But the high skill level has great agility, uh, can move, uh, very good timing on the defensive end. Um, you know, I don't think he loses either way, uh, you know, depending on what the evaluations are. Um, because his, his work ethic, he's one of those kids that seems like he's in there all the time working on his game. Uh, he's only going to get better. He's going to get bigger and stronger, just like Demonis did. Demonis started hitting 18, 20-foot jumpers, you know, his sophomore year. Well, Zach can, can do that already, uh, and he can certainly improve on it. So the kid's, uh, the kid's in a pretty good position. Certainly, as as you start to look around the roster, um, setting aside guys who are graduating, uh, those who potentially might test the waters, um, who do you see as uh, a player that's coming back next year that fans might not be thinking, uh, that might not be kind of in the front of fans' heads right now that could potentially have a breakout season next year? Is there anyone that stands out to you? Uh, I, I think a lot of that depends on who comes back, but if I if if there's playing time there for a guy like Rui uh, Hachimura, uh, if there's playing time, you know, extended minutes for uh, or even Killian, uh, a guy like Killian who I don't know if he's ever going to be huge numbers, but uh, you can't de- deny the impact he has on the floor at both ends. And then a kid I kind of want to see is the Larson, uh, Jacob Larson from uh, Denmark. I guess it's Jakob Larson to be correct, but He's, uh, he's almost seven feet. He's really, to me, it looked like he really made some gains on the physical end. They, they put in the time in the weight room. He's a pretty good specimen, and, and really already has that. Really is uh, uh, 6'8". He put on 20, 25 pounds right after he came over from Japan, and, and uh, it looked like pretty good weight. Um, so I think, you know, the interesting thing will be if there's an opening at the three position, is it really? Is it is it Corey Kispert, the kid coming in from the Seattle area, the six six, pretty good shooter, uh, good range, physical kid. He's about two ten, two fifteen. Is it Zach Norvell? You know, has a great reputation as a scorer and a shooter, kind of a bigger kid too. He's about six four or five and pretty strong. But they're gonna have some options with that three position, which uh, through the years, they haven't had that kind of size there. Uh, and they can go big, they can go kind of normal, small forward, and they can go with uh, kind of a big three guard uh, at that spot. Uh, and all three of those guys have the capability to, I think, if, if Rui gets better, if Kispert is healthy after he kind of went through an injury there in his senior year of high school, uh, if all three of those guys are healthy and, and uh, able to go full speed. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens at the three. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it, it will be an off-season or maybe, you know, a next couple of weeks full of uh, fascinating storylines just to see kind of where the where the pins fall. Um, for now, uh, Jim, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, you've all read him uh, on Twitter at SRJim with two M's. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Uh, hope you can get out on the golf course uh, sooner than later. Hey, I'm right there with you guys. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Take care.
Zags on 3 is a joint production between iZag Radio and the Gonzaga Bulletin. The show is produced by me, Andy Bueller, and outro music is courtesy of Gonzaga alums Matt Friedman and Ben Cavino. Special thanks to our station managers, Robert Perry and Sam Takizawa, who helped make this thing happen. 